You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. take a moment now, Father, I pray as a, as a church, not just pastor praying up here, but all of us, Lord, seeking you. I pray that we are all wanting our hearts to be aligned with our Father, your desires, your will, your glory. Even now, Lord, we pause and just take a deep spiritual breath to remember that we belong to you, Father. You love us so much. You sent your son to die for us. You have made us new through faith in Jesus Christ by your grace that has been showered down upon us for nothing that we have done or deserve. And yet, again, as we've placed our faith in you, we sit here now, we kneel here now, we stand here today forgiven, redeemed, and restored. You've changed our hearts and you continue to want to see our hearts grow more and more like Jesus Christ. That's so beautiful and so awesome. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we take a moment, too, as we look across this world, as we think of different nations right now in such turmoil and devastation, Lord, whether in the Middle East, God, whether in Asia, whether in different places, Lord, whether just the the hurt and the pain that is right here in this continent of North America, we call out to you, God, and we say, Lord, the only answer is you. And the only answer, Lord, is to see hearts transformed by Jesus Christ, Lord. The only answer to the violence, the only answer to murder, the only answer to absolute chaos, Lord. The only answer to see people being set free from the devastation of sin and the onslaught of Satan is a heart transformed by Jesus Christ. And so we beg you, Lord, we beg you that we can't control all that happens across this world, but you can And we can't control what's going to happen in the countries across the Atlantic Ocean or even below us here, Lord. But we can seek to have our hearts transformed in you. We can desire, Lord, that we would be changed to speak what you would have us speak, to think as you would have us think, and to live as you would have us live. And that's one life, Lord, being changed. And one life at a time, increasingly then shining light and giving glory to Jesus Christ, praying prayers and making a difference for that which matters, which is you. So, Lord, we look across this world in one sense. We say, Lord, what's going on and how could this be? But in another sense, we look to you and we have peace and we have security and we have love. And so we say now, Lord, take my heart and use it. Take the hearts of your people at this time in this place in whatever way that you want to do, would you do that, Lord? Oh, God, free us from ourselves. Free us from our sin. Free us from our enslavement to material possessions and money and pride. Free us from all that garbage and set us alive for the kingdom of God. Set us on fire, Lord, for what actually counts. When you return, we're no shame in us, Lord. When you return, there we are, serving Jesus Christ, doing our best, not in our strength, but yours. How? By your grace. Please, Lord. Please, Lord, change our hearts that we would follow you We love you, Father. We're excited, I pray now, to open your word, to hear from you, and to be transformed. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Amen. Please open your Bibles to Psalm, to Psalm 51. This is our third and final week, Lord willing, in Psalm 51. It's been a series that has been designed to go after the heart. A series called A Change of Heart. In week number one, we saw a heart of confession. In week number two, last week, we saw a heart that was cleansed. And now in week number three, we're going to see a heart of conviction. Now, one of the things that, as you get to know me, you'll soon find out is I love uh, biblical counseling. I love biblical counseling um, because I, I need it often, like every single day. I love what you find within biblical counseling. And when I say biblical counseling, really you got to understand this too, and we have to understand this as well. Really, it's just biblical discipleship. A biblical counseling is just really preaching God's word and learning God's word on a one-on-one basis or one-on-two, whatever it might be. It's just intense study and discipleship of the word of God. So I want to be counseled biblically. I hope you do too. It's, it's how we grow in Christ. There's no psychology and stuff like that. It's no the world's ways or things of man. This is just finding out what God says for our lives and then wanting to do it. Now the reason I bring up biblical counseling right now is because what I want for me to see and what I want for you to see as well is all over Scripture, there are patterns and models of biblical discipleship. And before us is another one in Psalm 51. And why this is so key is because you've got to be aware that the Lord has set out these patterns for us to take in, to absorb and to allow ourselves to be transformed by them and then to teach others as well. And so all over scripture there are patterns of biblical and models of biblical discipleship. So the one that we've seen within Psalm 51 is we've learned this is that where there's genuine confession then there's going to be genuine cleansing. That, that, That just has to happen. If you genuinely confess your sins to the Lord the promise is you will be cleansed by the Lord. And so we hold up the value of confession and repentance because there I find myself to be truly cleansed. And when I'm genuinely cleansed by the Lord, which only He can do, but we ask for, when He cleanses me, what we learn here, the model shows us, confession leads to cleansing, and cleansing now leads to a conviction. A conviction of wanting to be used and see the Lord work at within our lives. Now listen here, loved ones. Here's where maturity sets in. The Christian who's mature hears confession, cleansing, and conviction and understands that is is not just a model for a day. This is a model of discipleship for every day. Um, It's like the person who thinks the Christian life is attending church once a week. you got to be kidding me. The Christian life is a battle the moment your eyes open in the morning and when you were sleeping the battle was even raging on. And every day you have to be equipped and ready to fight the battle and that's why God has given us his word and spelt out things like Psalm 51 to make us ready to not just fight yesterday or just today but every day going forward. We must build into our lives then patterns of biblical discipleship. And when we get the patterns and the models before us we learn them, we believe them and then we teach them. So this is so important to me. I want to be so important to you. I've got some of our team here to come up with a little illustration to to kind of design this because I I want you to remember it. I want you to see it today, but I I don't want you to forget it next week. 
Whenever you open to Psalm 51, and I, in my Bible, I have written confession, verses 1 to 6, cleansing, verses 7 to 12, and conviction, verses 13 to 19, because I want to be able to instruct it to those that I care about most and to people who want to learn what God's Word actually says. So this is all about the heart. So let's get the first slide here of the heart. Now we're learning as we go through life, the heart tends to go in the wrong direction. It goes in the wrong direction. That's why we have a barren tree and some lightning and thunder because and sin's gloomy. Sin, sin is miserable. It rains down on our parade with yucky stuff. Okay, So sin takes us in the wrong direction. But when the Lord starts to work in your life, something happens. Let's go to the next slide. And then all of a sudden we see there's a, a change of direction. There's a change of heart. We do a U-turn. This is, this is repentance. Repentance isn't just, I don't want to sin anymore. Repentance is, I'm turning away from that sin, and now I'm going towards something to replace it with the virtue that's found in Christ. So the heart then makes a change in the right direction, now going for Jesus Christ and in the cross. And so here's where we come to our model from Psalm 51. Let's see the next slide now. So here's the heart, and it's still kind of blackish, purplish, not doing so well. But then something happens. Let's see the next part of this model of discipleship. Confession takes place. Notice the heart has folded in half almost. That's, that's bowing down. The heart gets low. The heart humbles itself before its, its, its creator. And then this is good because notice what happens next. From confession then, when it's truly seen in our lives, then what's the next slide? Then we see the heart again changes, go again, plus the next slide. The heart is cleansed. When the heart bows down, the heart is cleansed. And the showers and waters of grace. Many people last weekend, you experienced that by God's grace. It's awesome. Amen. It's awesome and beautiful, but again, this is not just for last weekend, this is for every day, every day. And notice what happens, where's the next one that happens? The heart goes from black to lifelike and red. We all like red hearts, don't we? And from there, notice the puddle of cleansing has, has taken over. From confession, there's cleansing. And from cleansing now, the heart experiences this, experience conviction. Now, conviction is going to be a good thing we're going to see today. And where there's true conviction, there's an explosion of other hearts, apparently, but fruit that come from our life that God wants to use. When we're black and dead, in a sense, or hurting, bowing down, then getting cleansed by grace, and now the fruit that God wants to bear through our lives. That's the model of discipleship of Psalm 51. Now maturity says, man, that's good stuff. And maturity says, I don't want to forget that. Maturity says, I got I to go through this all the time. So, so, so my goal for you is that you be able to open up Psalm 51 and, and let's say, let's say six, six months from now, your teenager comes up who's in a really devastating place. This applies to everything. You have the ability to open up Psalm 51 and exhort your teenager and What's happening biblically to the heart. See, if you counsel the heart, loved ones, you counsel everything. You counsel everything. Let's say you have a friend that comes up to you and is devastated and fighting through despair, whatever it is. You open up Psalm 51, you can counsel the heart. I want you to be equipped to counsel to the heart. And models of discipleship are very, very helpful that God has given to us to do just that. So you take these three C's, confession, cleansing, conviction. You take these three C's to the spiritual bank and they will always gain interest always so we've seen the hard powerful work of confession we've seen then the beautiful and joy producing process of cleansing and now what we see today is the transformational and fruit-bearing process of conviction and i'm excited 
to go through this text with you. God's word continue to amaze me again this week. I'm telling you, there, you think you know a text and you have a couple of verses, you're like, yeah, man, I've seen those, those are amazing. But then you a couple other verses and you're like, I'm not, but you get to those other verses and you find out there's, there's so much in God's word. It's so exciting. And he wants to change me and wants to change you in the process. So when I say conviction, some of you are like, well, what do you mean by conviction? Um, well, let's find out what God's word says of the kind of conviction that is formed in us when we are cleansed. Here's the first a type of conviction that is formed within us when our hearts are truly cleansed. It's this. We find a conviction to see others transformed. When my heart is found in confession, my heart is cleansed. And what's amazing is that I desire from my life, I desire to see others transformed in the same way that my life has been transformed in Jesus Christ. I love how God works this way. Genuine transformation in Christ cannot be contained. It can't be contained. When you're genuinely transformed in Jesus Christ, it must come out. It wants to come out because the Holy Spirit in you is bless, 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 bless other people with the reality of what you've understood Jesus has done for you. So this is the basis for my entire ministry. This is the basis for your entire ministry as well. What is it? Jesus has saved me. Jesus has redeemed me. Jesus has restored a wretched sinner like me. He has made me go from death to life. i got to tell you about it. I mean, this is why I get so excited when I'm preaching. How can I not? Because I have been saved from death, and I'll do anything I can now to tell others that Jesus Christ can save you too, right? Because when your heart is cleansed, you desire that other people would know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Makes sense? Pretty simple and pretty awesome, right? So the believer's got to be filled with what God wants to say so you can be in turn, used by him, this is exactly what's happening within David as well. Jesus took my sin, he cleansed my heart, and now my life exists to tell others about the grace available to him. Now this is where I always say, can, can that be done in boredom? Oh, I really struggle with that part. Can that be done in, oh, yeah, Jesus. no, no, see, if you're really there, you're really there. And if your heart is cleansed, man, you're not going through this with apathy. You're going through this with, why, 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 why? It's not because it's me or you. It's because it's God in you. See that? You're tapping into the Lord, and so his grace starts to flow through you. This is one of my greatest convictions. And again, this is one of David's greatest convictions as well. It's just good theology. It's the way it's supposed to work. When God works in us, he wants to work through us as well. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. So remember, create in me a clean heart, O God. Cast not your presence away. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And if you do this, Lord, if you cleanse me, then, then, he says. See, he's already, he's already looking ahead. Then I will teach transgressors. It's amazing, your ways, and sinners will return to you. David has confessed. David has sought to be cleansed. And now David is filled with conviction. A conviction to see transformation that he has known be multiplied in others that is so beautiful. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Then is the result of cleansing. The seed of repentance, the trunk of cleansing, and the fruit of passion. The seed of repentance grows the trunk of cleansing, which bears the fruit of passion, of longing to see other people transform the way you have. Notice in verse 13, um, then I will teach 
transgressors and sinners will return. Notice, teach and return. See, what does David want? He wants others to be transformed. He longs for the transformation in other people. Question, do you, do you long for transformation in other people? Do you think about that a lot? Do you, do you long that others may grow in the same way that you have grown? That, that's one of the things, too, is that you won't long for something you haven't probably known yourself. The Simons family recently has been longing for some transformation. The Simons family has just completed uh, a decade of diapers. So we're pretty excited about that. So it's been uh, 10 years of straight diapers in our church, our Youngest daughter has just seemingly found out how the toilet works. And I'm telling you, that's a, that's a transformation that we have been pretty excited about in our family, especially daddy, all right? But daddy knows that mommy is the one who's been doing a lot of the work over these 10 years. So I think daddy's going to get mommy a plaque that says, I love you, a decade of diapers, or something like that, all right? So, so listen, and that transformation is very, very exciting in our home. But the reality is, the transformation we want more than anything else in our lives when we're seeing the heart of Jesus Christ is not the transformation of anything physically or the transformation of someone learning to do something, the transformation of the heart, that's what the Lord wants. And that's what we would want too. That our hearts would be transformed and the longing to see other hearts transformed in this same way. David says, Lord, then I will teach and then sinners will return to you. Notice, I will teach transgressors and sinners. See what David's doing? Clarity for what matters in life. Such clarity. Sinners need the Lord. Transgressors need a savior. Then I will teach. When I'm cleansed, this is what I'm going after. He's going for what actually matters in life. Notice he says, teach them your ways and sinners will return to you, God. David's bang on here. He is so bang on. Right now, he's not concerned about people's careers. He's not concerned about people's education. He's not concerned about people doing certain hobbies. He's concerned about the heart. He's concerned about the heart. He's concerned about the heart. Because his heart's been so transformed, the only thing he ultimately wants is the hearts of others to be transformed as well. Notice what's happening here, loved ones, in the context in David's life. And I want you to be so encouraged here. We're witnessing this within David's life, right? He's had the worst failure of, of his whole life. We're witnessing this, that God will waste nothing. If we give ourselves completely to God, there's nothing that God will waste. This is when God takes ashes and turns it into beauty. It's a word for some here tonight. It's a word for some here tonight. God specializes in taking ashes and turning it into beauty. How many life-changing ministries have been birthed out of sinful failure by the grace of God? There are many, many examples. I just thought of one. I thought of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, there he was in the Watergate scandal, the highest levels of political leadership in the U.S. of A., of course, and just all the brutal things that went on there in Watergate. And he's thrown in prison. His life takes a total turn as he bows his knee to Jesus Christ. He confesses his sins. He is completely cleansed. He is born again. He is made anew. He'll never be the same again. He's placed in prison, though. He serves his sentence. But in the middle of his failure and the devastation of all that's happening, God creates in him a vision of what would be prison fellowship worldwide the biggest prison outreach and ministry in the entire world reaching thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands starting from a man who committed a horrible crime and fraud and deceit ended up in prison jesus christ saved his life and now in turn he goes and literally reaches thousands and thousands of lives that's what god can do that's the power of the gospel that's the grace that god does and this is what david is, is expecting as well you will take me lord i have failed but you specialize in putting me back together. You will cleanse me and you will use me. That is awesome. The 
point is that God wastes nothing. I talk to a lot of people who say, they talk to me and they dwell in their past and they say, I failed, I failed, I failed. That's the past. That's the past, man. What are you doing today? And what are you hoping for tomorrow? You think God's worried about your past right now? Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. You think God's done with you? You think God's done with you? you think, well, I failed, I failed, I failed. It's called the gospel, man. It's called the gospel. We're all failures. But Jesus Christ redeems us and cleanses us. And if we want him to do so, and if we bow the knee, it's really the only condition. You've got to want it. You just got to want the grace. You just got to receive the He's like, here's the gift. Here's the gift. Here's the gift. It's amazing how many people are like, I'm too proud to receive the gift. I'm too proud. I'm too proud. I'm too proud. It's crazy. Receive the gift. Receive the gift. Receive the gift. You receive the gift, man, and life. Life starts to go in a pretty awesome direction. You say, I failed. Well, Jesus can take care of that. And your future could be awesome. Loved ones, recognize too, recognize this within this, even this first verse, that the greatest conviction comes out of personal cleansing. See David here? He has such conviction because he's been so cleansed. The more our hearts translates what's been done for us, then the more our hearts desires to translate for others what God can do for them. Notice, cleansing leads to conviction. Cleansing leads to conviction. So conversely then, pay attention, a lack of cleansing must therefore lead to a lack of conviction. See, the reason David is so like, I'm going to teach sinners, I'm going to have transgressors return, and the reason, because he's been so cleansed. He's seeking God for what he can do. But a lack of cleansing then in our lives will quench the work of God's spirit within our lives. So, so here's some questions. Do you, do you have a heart for the lost? Do I have a heart for the lost? Um, do I have a passion to share my faith? Are you burdened to teach transgressors the ways of God? Is this something that is on your heart a lot? And the question now becomes, if not, why not? If I don't have this burden and I don't have this passion and if I don't think about this very often, if I'm walking around just thinking of self, why is that so? Well, we're learning here that one of the reasons could be that we're not experiencing genuine confession because when there's genuine confession, genuine cleansing, then the more we seek to be salt and light for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, I like to say this, the Holy Spirit in us never says, shh, when it comes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit never goes, shh, don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk. We're a little ashamed today. Don't do that. He never, ever, ever does that. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness to say in the midst of the maybe crazy times to actually stand up and to speak up for the Savior that has saved us from sin and death and can save that person as well. So it's never the Holy Spirit telling us to shh. It must be something else. The most common sin does that to us. But you know what I love about this church? I love about so many of you. So many of you are being so used in so many ways in this category of a conviction to see others transformed. So many of you are a blessing and inspiration to me. And I just want to make sure you know how encouraged I am by this truth. I mean, there just are 
people after person after person after person is just seeking to love the neighbor, love the coworker, love the family member, love the friend, love the stranger. I mean, just that is so powerful, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Because the closer you get to the Lord, the more you desire to share about the awesome nature and beautiful salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. The conviction, Lord, the conviction to see others transformed. More, Lord, amen? More, Lord, more of that, Lord, because that's all that counts. It's all that counts when this life is done. It's Jesus Christ. A conviction to see others transformed. Secondly, this, here's the second conviction, a conviction to sing. That's right. When I am cleansed in heart, I find I have a conviction to sing. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David here is once again seeking cleansing. But this time he's seeking cleansing for the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. See that word blood guiltiness there? That word is referring to murder. It's referring to the blood that was on David's hands due to him sending out Uriah to die. But again, notice this, loved ones. Notice that David here in verse 14, notice he's not, he doesn't have a, a, a casual plea here. He's not just kind of going through some kind of routine. He's not knocking off a to-do list and on to the next. I mean, David in verse 14, I mean, he's going through spiritual heart surgery. I mean, his chest is opened, his, his heart is out, and he's allowing the scalpel of the Holy Spirit to come and to do his work. But David knows this. This is so beautiful. David knows if he's brought to life by God, then he won't be able to help but sing to God. If God delivers him from this yet again, and he calls out to the God of his salvation, David understands, loved ones, salvation leads to singing. To singing. Oh Lord, when you deliver me, my tongue will sing, David says. Oh Lord, when I know your salvation, my mouth will declare your praise, David says. Hey, you know that um, God really likes singing, right? You really know God really likes song and music. I mean, he created it for us to worship him. Um, Just the songs in Scripture. Think of the greatest songs in Scripture. The song of Moses. The song of Deborah. The song of David and Chronicles after victory. The song of Asaph. The song of Jehoshaphat. The song of Mary. Paul used hymns within his letters as well. The song of Revelation. In fact, the entire book of Psalms is a book of songs. In total, there are 185 songs in the Bible. 185. And all the, all the specific songs I just mentioned, they all have to do with deliverance and salvation of our God. So here's the point. When you know you've been saved, you sing. You sing. Deliver me, O God, of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud, David says. Aloud. Aloud he will sing, it says. You ever notice a difference between a church that sings and a church that doesn't? You ever notice that? What's the difference? In almost all cases, ready? Conviction is the difference. In almost all cases, conviction is the difference. 
Maturity is the difference. Now, I'm not talking style of music. I could care less about that. I'm talking about the overflow of the heart singing to God about the salvation that he has given. Whatever style you want, go ahead. It's the idea, though, that our heart must sing when it is cleansed because we're responding to the reality that we have been set free by God in his grace. I'm telling you, you can measure the spiritual temperature through singing. You can. Not in 100% of the time, but a lot of the time. And I love, I've been here 10 years now, I love watching people when they come into our church and either they're not saved at all and they walk in and I don't expect a dead person to act alive to you. I don't. But they come in and they're not, or the person comes in and for whatever reason they're just very grumpy and um, they, just, they just don't have a lot going on for the Lord and I guess they've been saved at some point but there's just, they're, just, they're just not really fired up at any level and they come in and they sit here and the songs are on the screen but that's all they are. There's just words on the screen. And their lips might move a little bit. And, you know, I can't judge hearts, whatever, but you're just watching. But I know for a fact, I've talked to so many people of this over 10 years, but then you watch them, and then God sets a spark and causes them to be alive in Jesus Christ. And boom, boom, the seed's planted, and the tree starts to grow, and the fruit starts to be seen. And quite often, no offense, people sit near the back, okay, but often they move from the back, and they start going closer to the front because they just, they just need to be near where the action is. So they say whatever. It's pretty funny. I like all that stuff. It's really good. But then all of a sudden, you see that they start to, to move their lips and they, they, they start to have their heart operating and all of a sudden there's this joy in their eyes and expression from their mouths and salvation begins to be declared in a way that they never used to do before because their heart has been set on fire for the Lord and they can't help but sing. When you know your salvation, you sing. And I love that, I love that, I love that. And I got tons of grace for people, whether back or front, whatever it is. Because the idea is you, you, you come closer to the front as you go in Christ. Not physically in the front row. I'm just talking closer to Jesus as you grow in him. And as you grow in him, you sing to him. Because it's a gift that God has given us to express ourselves of the reality of who he is and what he's, what he's done. I love a church that sings. You know that about me. I love a church that sings because God loves a church that sings. Notice, confession, cleansing, conviction, singing. And what happens? There are no longer words on a screen. There are words on their heart. And that's what causes them to lift it up from the Lord. Remember, loved ones, music is a glorious gift from God. And music was created by God as the ultimate vehicle to express our worship to him. Consider the power in music and song across our world. I mean, just whether good or bad, just, just, just consider, you know, nations write their laws in songs. The power and the influence that is there. Song and music is so powerful because, again, it's under God's design. Remember this too. There's no preaching in heaven, but there's a lot of singing. So let's practice, huh? Let's practice ahead of time as men and women who will be singing praises to the Lord forever and ever and ever. The heart of conviction, the heart is that sings, a heart of conviction, also this. Number three, a conviction of, of brokenness. A conviction of brokenness. So when my heart is cleansed, there's a process that occurs there, and I start to learn some very important things about life. God's word is so awesome. Right in our text, the conviction to teach, 
the conviction of sin, and now the wholehearted conviction of brokenness. So what David is about to do here, he recognizes the fruit that can be seen without will only be seen if brokenness is seen within. No real fruit will be seen without in my life unless brokenness is seen within my life. You see what David has done in verses 16 and 17? He goes right back to the heart. See, he goes back to what matters most where life is lived. Look at verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Why? Because Here's why. Because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrary heart. Notice this. This is massive. Oh God, you will not despise. Verse 16, David stating that he could sacrifice animals to his heart's content. He could seek ritual until he was exhausted to seek God's forgiveness. But it wouldn't work. Notice in verse 16, he says, this is not what God delights in. This is not what pleases God. David's telling us here, God's not into external religious behavior. God wants your heart. He wants your broken heart. Notice too, David says in verse 16, if you wanted the external religious stuff, I'd give it to you. I'd give it, he says. But you don't want ritual. You want the heart. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 here on the screen. Notice what he says to the Pharisees. This is very important. He says, you hypocrites. Because they were all about the external. They had nothing going on inside. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said... This people honors me with their lips, but their heart. What does Jesus care about the heart? What does God care about the heart? They honor me with lips. So they got the stuff going on on the outside. They, they, can, they can say the right words. They can sing the songs. But the reality is their heart is far from him. Because in vain, in vain do they worship me. Let's be afraid of this, eh? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, their traditions were so much in what they wanted to say as opposed to what God said. Therefore, their heart is distant, but they're saying stuff, but it's not having any real meaning towards the Lord or their lives. This takes us to one of my all-time favorite verses, verse 17. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. This God you will not despise. Right here in this verse, we find answers to some of our most important questions. Ready? Who does God use? Who does God fill? Who does God heal? Who does God hear? He uses the broken. He fills the broken. He heals the broken. He hears the broken. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. The sacrifices of a broken heart, ready, are irresistible to the Father. That's amazing. The sacrifices of a broken and contrite spirit and heart are irresistible to the Father. So time out, time out, time out. Because that, if that's true, we need to stop for a second. If you want to save yourself a lot of unnecessary trouble and trial in life, then write this on your heart. Become 100% convinced that verse 17 is true. you got to do that. I mean, you're looking at the same Bible I am. Look at verse 17 and be convinced in your heart and mind right now, that verse 17 is true. It's always true. Now, do you know how much I think about this truth? I think about this truth dozens of times a day. A day. All the time I think about the truth of verse 17. Because I am resolved to believe that when God says he opposes the proud, he means what he says. 
I'm also resolved to believe that when God says he gives grace to the humble, that he means that as well. So let me put it this way. When we are proud or have a hard heart, the score in life is God infinity and us zero. But when we are convinced of brokenness, that's when we see that God is on our very team and that we cannot lose because he gives grace to the humble. Now, let me be very clear again. Get right theology here. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. We're not talking about God's love being conditional whether or not we're proud or humble. What we're talking about is God's power being able to flow through us through his Holy Spirit, but we quench his spirit by pride in our lives. But God fills and uses the broken person. Here's the broken person. Blesses the broken heart. That's what we're saying. It's not a matter of him loving you less or more. That's impossible to change. It's a matter of why don't I see God working in my life the way I think I should? because he uses the broken heart. He rushes to the broken heart. The broken heart versus the hard heart. The broken heart responds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and turns from self to God. The broken heart demonstrates a change of heart, how they think, how they speak, how they act. That's the broken heart. The hard heart becomes the antithesis of the broken heart. The hard heart, listen, is self-centered, self-made, and self-righteous. That's the hard heart. The hard heart refuses to humble themselves. They refuse to repent. And therefore, they force God to strip them of self. Which can be very painful. I've heard it said before that God's plan A is humility. And God's plan B is humiliation. I'm trying so hard to choose humility. I don't always do it. I'm just, I, just, I just believe it with everything I got. I say about humility, it comes to humility, I stink at it. I believe in it though. I believe in it. And I advise you to believe in it too. You will save yourself a lot of unnecessary pain in this life. Life is hard enough as it is. And trials will come guaranteed. Let's not heat them up on ourselves by refusing to believe the truth that God has so clearly said. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The broken heart chooses humility, chooses to repent. The hard heart just gets harder. You know, the fundamental difference between a broken heart and a hard heart is this. It's how they respond when they're confronted with their sin. The single fastest way to find out if your hard heart, if your heart is hard or or soft, hard or broken, is how do you respond when you're confronted with your sin? Do you fight back like a snake coiled up ready to attack? How dare you say it to me? Or are you humble enough to stop? For me, this doesn't happen in the first few seconds. But I pray, give me some time and some hours sometimes a day or two, but to say, was that true, Lord? Is that sin in my life? And often, gently, he will whisper, it is, Robbie. It is in your life. But I love you, and I'm going to forgive you if you ask me to, and I will use you again. So what you do in that moment, you say, I believe in humility. I believe it. I believe it's right, so I choose to do it. If you choose pride, you choose to lose. If you choose to refuse to admit what you know deep down is true, you choose to lose. I'm just trying to choose to win. I'm just trying to choose to win. 
And a cleansed heart carries the utter conviction. See David here? David, again, no excuses, no blaming, nothing but, you're right, God, you're right, you're right, you're right. The sacrifices you want are not a heart that's giving excuses. The sacrifice you want is a heart that's broken before you and trusting you for the results. A cleansed heart, a conviction for transformation, a conviction to sing, a conviction of brokenness, and fourthly, here's the fourth conviction and the last conviction. Ready? If your heart is cleansed, loved ones, you have a conviction for the kingdom. A conviction for the kingdom. One of the great signs that God is truly at work in your life is that you care less and less about self. And you care more and more about the Lord and his kingdom. So do a quick survey of your heart right now. Is your heart self-indulgent? Or is it self-denying? Is your heart more about your kingdom? Or is it about God's kingdom? Look at your schedule. Is your schedule filled with you? Look at your spending. Is your spending filled with you? Look at your serving. Is your serving filled with you? Just serving self? Or is your schedule spending serving? Those three things will pretty much tell us all we need to know where your heart's really at. Is it filled with him? Him. Is there a desire to see him? And then when it's about him, then it becomes about others, you see? Because when you're focused on his kingdom, then you're focused on his kingdom. Check out David's heart, verse 18. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. This is beautiful. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And what David says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Now think about it. These verses conclude the psalm not by accident. You could read verse 18 and 19 and go, what's that there for? It's there for a reason. After the confession, cleansing, and conviction, it ends with a heart for the kingdom of God. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, God. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Now I don't believe David is literally saying, here, build the walls. I believe David is metaphorically saying here, build up the walls. Why? Because the city walls were the symbol of strength, and Jerusalem or Zion was God's city. So David's sin had hurt the city. He knows that. He was king. His sin, in some form, affected everyone. It had weakened God's people all because of his sin. But David knows this. David knows the heart of the city will be found in the heart of the people when they are found as a heart after God. The heart of the city is the heart of the people after the heart of God. That's why in verse 19, when the walls are strengthened, then the worship is right. Then you will delight in right sacrifices because when the heart is right, worship is right. So God, if you get the worship of the heart in the right place, the worship of your people will be right as well. So David's prayer is, oh God, no longer allow my sin to hurt your people. God, please spare your people, build up your walls, grow your kingdom. Now, I'm in, I'm in awe of how the Holy Spirit ends this. I've, I've never seen this part before in this way. It's such a word for us here right now, too. Loved ones, understand this. Your sin always hurts more than just yourself. Your sin will always hurt people beyond yourself. You think you can sin and keep it contained to you? That's a lie. It's always a lie. 
Our sin damages, so to speak, the walls of Jerusalem. Our sin damages the walls of our lives. Our sin damages the walls of our home. And our sin damages the walls of his church. But listen, a cleansed heart cries out. A cleansed heart, filled with conviction, cries out, Oh God, build the walls of your kingdom again. Build the walls of your kingdom, listen, through my life. Do you see David's conviction here? He knows what God can do. He knows what God can do. No wonder Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. But seek first the kingdom of God filled with conviction. And right here in this phrase, build the walls of Jerusalem, I have a specific word for men here. It's a word for all of us. But my heart was led by the Lord this week to speak specifically to the men here today. Listen, as men who are to be leading their families. Men, our actions will determine the walls that are set up around our home, our families, and that impact our church. Our actions will determine the walls that are placed around our families. For some of us, the walls of our home are weakened. For some of us, the walls have been damaged badly, if not crumbling, and there's much pain and hurt. Because in our sin, we have hurt people we love. But listen, 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 listen. Listen for the grace of God right here. Here's the grace of God right through David's life that I pray flows into our lives is too. The heart that confesses is the heart that's cleansed. It's the heart that now grows in the conviction for the kingdom of God through your life. And when you grow with the conviction of the kingdom of God in your life, it impacts your life, it impacts your marriage, it impacts your home, and it impacts your family, it impacts your church. That's what God wants to do. And if you think God's done with you because of the failure again in the past, think again. This is the point of the gospel. This is the point of the grace of God. He loves you so much that no matter what has happened and how small and beaten down your walls seem to be, today is a new day. Today is a day by the victory that is only found in Jesus Christ that you can rise again to your feet as God lifts you up and builds you up and loves you up and graces you up and he says it is not over. I will be seen through your life. I'll be seen through your marriage. I'll be seen through your kids. I'll be seen through your church. Man, if you will trust in me, God says, this is a new day. And I will build up the walls of Jerusalem because I'm a God who's so good and so loving and so awesome and so gracious. If you will run to me, you will find a God who hugs you and never lets you go. The grace available, no matter what has happened in the past, the walls can be rebuilt today. That is awesome. And that is the gospel. That's the gospel. You're like, I can't do it. You're right, you can't. I can't do it either. The only way this happens in my life is Jesus in me. That's why he died, and that's why he was raised. Because I can't do it, but Jesus can. And Jesus is in me. And so if I humble myself before him, and I confess, and I'm cleansed, and I have conviction, then faith rises up in me and says, you can make me a man my wife admires, my children follow, 
And I will speak the truth and love my family and be an impact on my church and community in a way that you designed me to be only by your grace. Oh God, would you do that in my life? Think of the power. Think of the opportunity. Just imagine we did that. Men and women, imagine if we did that. But this is what God says to us in Psalm 51. Where there's confession, there's cleansing. And where there's cleansing, there's conviction. A conviction for the kingdom of God. And he'll do such great things. I want to pray. Let's pray. Just standing here, Lord, just broken even right now. Just broken by your grace. We just deserve, we deserve death and we deserve no attention from you at all. And yet here you are loving us again. Loving us and loving us and telling us how much you care for us and want to do through us. We don't deserve it. It's amazing to me. Your grace is amazing. That you're speaking to men and women and you're convincing them of what is true. You're convincing them that a heart that confesses will be a heart that's cleansed. And a heart that is cleansed will be a heart full of conviction of the Lord. It's so beautiful. Yes, Lord. So I pray, Lord, I pray the truth would result in faith today. Such faith for men and women, young and old. Faith, faith to say, yeah, my God can do it. I can't do it, but my, my God can do it. And by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ alone, he lives in me. He lives in me. And by grace, he will carry me. He will give me words. He will give me strength. He will give me vision. He will lead me on to paths that are not easy but are right. He will take my soul and he will restore it again. He will renew it. He will cleanse me. And so, Lord, even as we sing this song right now, I pray grace just falls down. And I pray your people hear you and respond back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.